FTX, which was among the largest cryptocurrency exchanges in the world, has collapsed in one of the most spectacular corporate bankruptcies ever. And in other tech-related industries, mass layoffs continue to gather pace. The boom-bust cycle of capitalism is once again on full display. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week. Thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. If you like listening to this show or rely on it, do your part and become a subscriber. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolff.com. That's rdwolff.com. Professor Wolff, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Well, thank you so much. This is huge. I want to talk about FTX in particular. We want to also, if we have time, get to Twitter and Elon Musk. But in addition to FTX specifically and the collapse of this company, we want to ask you more about cryptocurrencies and, if possible, to get your thoughts about money. Of course, when we look at the first parts of Capital written by Karl Marx, and published in 1867. The whole first part is about commodities and money, money and surplus value, money and exchange. Anyway, we'll talk about money. But I want to start off by reading a little bit from the New York Times. It's very short, but it kind of helps the audience get a sense of, of what the big picture is. FTX filed for bankruptcy at the end of last week after Binance, not finance, but Binance, reverse course on a deal to save the company. The bankruptcy filing on Thursday by Mr. Ray, the new FTX chief, described numerous corporate missteps, including the use of software to, quote, conceal the misuse of customer funds. I don't know, is that a misstep or is that theft? Mr. Ray also said in the filing, that he could not trust the financial statements assembled under Mr. Bankman-Fried's leadership. He was the founder and CEO. The savings of hundreds of thousands of customers who deposited their holdings on the FTX platform are in jeopardy. So far, Mr. Ray's team has secured about $740 million worth of cryptocurrency belonging to parts of the FTX business a sum he called, quote, only a fraction, close quote, of what he was hoping to recover. 
Wow, there's a lot to talk about here, Professor Wolf. One is what happened to the company, the issue of speculation, what is cryptocurrency. There's also the issue of the human cost, because obviously tens of thousands of people, maybe hundreds of thousands of people who put their savings into FTX and into cryptocurrencies, maybe they just got wiped out. Anyway, let's talk about it. I'm glad the way you uh, introduced it, Brian, because this is a perennial problem of capitalism. It is a system that has provoked, has spawned, has bred one of these scandal-ridden explosions after another. The one most frequency pointed to, to show you that ancient history, goes back to the 17th, 18th century when Britain was the center of capitalism that was just beginning to be important. And there was a speculation in tulip bulbs grown and marketed from the Netherlands were the the thing you could speculate in in those days. More recently, uh, people have learned names like Ponzi schemes, named after uh, a speculator, hustler, scandal monger named Ponzi, who simply had a very basic idea. You could get people to give you money by promising them 20% return, way more than you can get from lending money, way more than you can normally get from investing in stocks and bonds. So I will get you 20%. And then he did the very simple game. He went to the the first person. He got the first person. He went to the second person and said, look, I just made this great deal with the first person. I'm going to let you get in on it too. And the second person, being gullible, gives it his money to the first person who uses part of it to pay off 20% to the first person and with the rest of it, promotes himself to the next sucker and the next sucker. And he's always bringing in more people whose money he uses to keep the scam going with the earlier people until, of course, he finally runs out of people to give him more money or rumors begin to spread that he can't cover or he has to say to one or two of them, I need a few extra days. I'll get it to you. You're 20%. And then the suspicions arise. And once again, people learn the lesson that is repeated to young persons in Wall Street every year. And it goes like this. If the deal is too good to be true, it probably isn't true. And or the variation, nobody ever went broke by taking a modest return. So don't go searching after the big explosion, the big gainer, the big profit killing because the person likely to get killed is you. It has happened so often, literally dozens and dozens of times in each of the last four centuries, that it is only amazing that there are still so many people who can get suckered in. So the name of the game has become, for those who are the con men and women who pull these stunts and who are provoked always to do it again and again, the trick has become you have to come up with a pitch, something that is believable even by people who might otherwise have the suspicion that if it sounds too good to be true, it really isn't true. And cryptocurrency did that and did it very well. 
And here's what cryptocurrency did, and I mention it only because I want people to understand how sophisticated and what it reveals about our society, what the crypto people said. Here's the first one. The crypto people were anti-capitalist. They really were in their own peculiar way. They said the government is in cahoots with big business, you know, like Bernie would say. And then they said one of the ways the government is controlled by big business is the mechanism of control operated through the Federal Reserve System, or in other countries, the central bank. And big business controls the banks. The banks are hooked into the government or with the Federal Reserve. They're sort of half of the institution is private bankers. Half of it is government officials. And in effect, here comes the pitch. The government is manipulating the money supply to serve the interests of big business. And therefore, the money supply is not your friend. The money supply is not a free market or anything like it. It is an instrument of your oppression. But we, the crypto people, are going to give you a way to free yourself from your subordination to capitalism through its manipulation of the money system. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to use a new kind of technology. It's called blockchain, and it's basically going to make it possible for all kinds of individuals and businesses to move money around from one to the other in the course of buying and selling goods and services without using the banks, without going through the banks, and therefore, here it comes, freeing us, freedom the American fetish, freedom from control of the Federal Reserve and the monetary authorities. And look, there was a grain of truth here. There was a grain of truth that using crypto meant you didn't use the dollar or the euro or the Japanese yen or any of the instruments and institutions that work within and with those currencies. You had a new currency independent of government. What they did not stress, which I'm going to do now, is that the history of capitalism should make you be very, very suspicious. Why? Well, once upon a time, money was privately produced without the government control. The resulting chaos, corruption, stealing, and venality of the private enterprises, usually banks, who produced money in the ancient days of capitalism two or three centuries ago. The result of that was that capitalists who hated doing it said, we've got to bring the government in to control the money supply because none of us private capitalists will trust any other one of us to do it because of the record of corruption and default and stealing and everything else that has gone on. In other words, bringing the government in was originally a response to the intolerability of a private system. And so ironically, what people don't understand is that the turn to crypto over the last couple of decades has been a return once again, to an ancient historical version of money, one that did not involve the government. 
and now the punchline. Because it didn't involve the government, because there is no governmental agency to enforce legality on the money system, to punish at least the most egregious violators, and to back up the system, bailing it out when despite the government's controls, it crashes, what we have now is a crash of the cryptocurrency and the government is sitting there doing nothing because it doesn't have to. It hasn't built up the regulatory apparatus. The responsibilities of the Fed do not include supporting the cryptocurrency world. That is on its own. And as a result, what you're seeing is another failure of a private money system like we've had another failure of it to be supported. And so what you're going to see now is either the end of that currency system or bringing in a government to provide the control and authority that the Fed now provides to the US dollar or the Bank of England to the British pound or the European Central Bank to the euro. It's a sad replay of history. And the worst of it is, as you're quite right, is the hundreds of thousands of people who began to have dreams of quick wealth. Like all these scandals, quick wealth is part of it. All the BS about being free of the government and having an independent currency, all of that was just extra pitch on top of, oh, are you going to make a lot of money? And let's remember, Bitcoin went from a few bucks to tens of thousands of bucks per Bitcoin. So there was plenty of action, like there is with the early players in a Ponzi scandal. There was plenty of examples that eager people could think about and react to and give them the agent, as in this case, the FTX Corporation, to manage your buying and selling of crypto. And then, of course, as it lasted for a few months, when you cashed out of your crypto, you left the money there because you're going to buy more coins next week, next month. Therefore, they begin to accumulate cash deposits. And what they did, the FTX, and what is typically done is they started lending out this money. They had it sitting there. It was their depositors' money. They could lend it for a day or two or three, earn interest on money that wasn't theirs, fattening their profits yet again, and they were tempted to do it. And eventually they did it to people who couldn't pay them back. And then the whole thing crashed to the earth with no governmental agency to back them up. Terrible for the people who invested their savings. They're not going to get the bulk of that back. There's no one that's required by law to give them that money back. They've lost it forever. If they're lucky, after years of litigation, they will, in some future point, get a few cents back for every dollar they lost, which will have been eroded by inflation to the next to nothing that is really all that's left. The FTX Corporation, I believe, had assets in the neighborhood of 16 or 17 billion. If what you said is true, the New York Times reports that the, the people now in charge have collected 700 million. Well, that's less than 5% of what, what was invested. So if they get back a nickel three or four years from now, they'll be doing well. Professor Wolf, I'm glad you made the point that it's really not about whether it's a government-sponsored currency or 
a non-government sponsored currency. The issues really are working within the framework of the social and economic order called capitalism. As it turns out, the sort of sense of independence or freedom from government regulation or government control also in this instance, it goes with it is the the absence of any kind of security if the thing crashes, where if you put as much as $250,000 of deposits into an, a federal reserve backed bank, that money is guaranteed. The government will back it up if the bank fails. What we saw with FTX is basically a run on the company. Once people realized that the company was in trouble and some of its rivals and some media reports came out saying that it was essentially a Ponzi scheme and insolvent. Everybody wanted to get their money out right away. And that crashed the company. Just like in the 30s, before there was FDIC insurance, you could see runs on banks after the stock market crash where people formed lines and just got their money out of the bank as quickly as possible, thus depleting the bank of all capital and crashing the economy even further. It's not about this or that institution, even though there's culpability and criminality. Certainly, it's part of the system. Greed, institutional, legal greed, illegal greed, greed, all part of it. But it's really the system. Here we, I'm looking at CBS News, CNBC News, between $1 billion and $2 billion of FTX customer funds have disappeared. Get this, SBF. That, of course, who would know what SBF means unless you're sort of an an investor with FTX, but SBF is Sam Bankman-Fried. He is the now former CEO of the company. He had a secret, quote, backdoor to transfer billions. Here's the subheadline. Reuters reports that at least $1 billion worth of customer funds have vanished from the failed crypto exchange. Two sources familiar with the matter told Reuters that ex-CEO Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, transferred $10 billion of customer funds from FTX to the digital asset trading house Almeida Research. Well, Almeida Research is a sort of nice-sounding name. That's his hedge fund. So obviously, Richard, what's going to happen is we're going to learn to hate Sam Bankman-Fried, just like we learned to hate Bernie Magnoff, who also his Ponzi scheme collapsed. Uh, We're going to hate them as individuals. We're going to understand they are criminals, but really they are just a little tiny cog in the bigger wheel, the bigger machine of capitalism. And I think it's really, really important for people not to just now learn to hate the criminal. Yeah, we should hate him. He is a criminal. He's like destroyed a lot of people's lives. But the capitalist system and the big capitalists are very content if we just hate like one or two or a few capitalist bankers and scapegoat them as if they are, in fact, the problem. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it happens with regularity. I mean, there is no decade in the la- in the history of the United States, I dare say, I haven't done the research, but my it's a very good educated guess. There's no decade in American history where we haven't had these kinds of swindlings going on, number one. Number two, for every one of these characters that gets caught, there are a lot of them that don't, that are able to carry this out. Bernie Madoff's lasted, I don't remember, but for decades. It lasted a very long time, which is why it accumulated so many people that it hurt at the end. 
In other words, the incentive, capitalism, as its defenders like to tell us, is an incentive system. It provides incentives. You know, it does. Turns out all systems do. And guess what else all systems do? They incentivize both productive, positive things and negative things. The profit system is as good in incentivizing criminality as it is in incentivizing anything else. So there ought to be a much more developed ability of the society to identify earlier, not later, when this is happening, how this is happening, and literally to impose some sort of control and regulation so that we don't allow people to be fleeced like this. And let me warn everyone, we are at the beginning of unraveling all that was done. Here's some questions that will show you where this can go. How many other enterprises playing with crypto, allowing bills to be paid in crypto, accumulating their assets in crypto, are now taking a bath, in other words, losing enormous amounts of their value? What will these other companies do? How will they respond to the terrible losses this collapse inflicts on them? Here's another one. How many pension funds, private or public, invested in crypto? And now having lost everything, they're going to have to be sending letters out here at Christmas time to the pensioners saying, oh, we can't pay the pension that you are entitled to. We don't have the money. Why? Either because we invested in crypto and lost our shirt or we invested in some company and we didn't even know that that company in turn was hooked into the crypto universe. All of this is going to play out. There are countries whose central banks invested in crypto. What happens to them? Is there going to be a run on the currency of this or that country as the rumor turns out that FTX or one of the other crashing crypto companies was something that country's central bank invested in. I mean, we are at the beginning of the unraveling, and we should be aware that even as slowly the media gets bits and pieces of what the lawyers here are trying to hide, and that takes a lot of time, meanwhile, other schemes like this are being born, are evolving, are drawing in more people and within a year or two, we're going to hear about something else which is going to be promoted, like crypto, as a, a get-rich-quick scheme coupled together with something socially progressive. In this case, the libertarians took us all for a ride because it was libertarian ideology that the people in crypto wrapped themselves in, like other people wrapped themselves in the flag to appear patriotic. Well, crypto wrapped itself in libertarian ideology. We are breaking from government control. You will not be surveilled by the government because they won't keep track of what the money is that goes in and out of your bank account or in and out of your credit card. You'll be free. You'll be free in the libertarian fantasy that there's some sort of escape from all of this without changing it. All of that is going on here and all of that is being challenged. And it would be tragic if the broader lessons of the system incentivizing all of this is lost in an orgy of finding an individual and blaming him for everything. 
you're quite right. That would be a loss for all of us. Final point. Speculation is the application of money into gambling, basically. Gambling enterprises, the person or entity, and the biggest entities, of course, are the biggest banks and biggest corporations. They invest in a speculative endeavor because the reward, the possible reward is so high, or in the negative, because if they invest in something that's not simply a gamble, not simply like a casino, something that's productive, if they're producing goods and services, but there's not a certainty that those goods and services can actually be sold or sold at a profit, that means that investor capital, which fears investment in something productive, something that would actually be part of the real economy, they're doing that because they're fearful that the demand won't hold up. And the reason I'm mentioning it is that outside of individual gambling, like in the case of crypto, my last job, I worked with a guy who was a sound engineer and he was kind of a a risk taker and he put $5,000 of his hard earned salary into Bitcoin. And like in a couple of weeks, he made like $15,000. So he was like, he was so happy, he made more than he had made in the whole month. And then of course it crashed. But I'm not talking about individuals like this individual. I'm talking about investment of large amounts of capital into speculative endeavors because those people who really have a better sort of view of the economy realize that investing in and things that are productive may actually also be a bad investment, a bad bet, because productive capital might not sell the commodities produced by it. The point that I'm getting to is that the issue of profit for the investor is what's driving decisions about the allocation of resources rather than applying resources in a rational way to take care of the unmet needs of society Again, it's a casino, it's speculative, but if we detach speculation as an evil away from a system that almost guarantees, and in fact does guarantee that speculation will be part and parcel of its SOP, standard operating procedure, then in a way we we miss the big picture. Absolutely. I mean, Marx himself was very eloquent about this. He reminded his readers, it's real capital that is used to speculate, you know, think of it in the most concrete terms. FTX Corporation hired lots of people. Those were creative people. They knew good mathematics. They could play the stock market. They understood computers in a way uh, ahead of most of the rest of us. These are people who could have and who should have been doing socially useful things, What they were doing was operating a gambling casino. And whatever else you may think about relaxing and doing, gambling casino is a lot less productive for the larger society than thousands of other activities that creative, energetic, well-educated people could be helping to do. So yeah, we always have to ask what economists call the opportunity cost. We have an enormous industry here in New York, where I live and work, here in New York City, this is an enormous industry. Hundreds of thousands 
of some of the best educated, sharpest people in the country are gathered here in an immense activity which amounts to moving money from the hands of some people into the hands of other people and back and forth and back and forth with whatever gambit of stock manipulation, bond manipulation, crypto manipulation, foreign currency manipulation, credit default swap manipulation, you name it. And the names are now so prolific that nobody can quite keep track, which is why it is so hard to unravel this latest scam. But we are wasting the output of all those people who could be, and by the way, many of them wish they could be personally doing something much more socially useful than moving the money from one rich person to another, or sadly, from non-rich persons into the hands of of rich persons. This is not socially productive. It's not economically useful. It is a profit-driven craziness. And the real question for Americans, like for everybody else, how long do we tolerate all that we lose by allowing profit, making more back than you put in, no matter how it's done, how shady, how long shot, how unfair, how wasteful. If it's profitable, it happens. And if it isn't profitable, it doesn't happen. And that's no way to run a rational society. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. 